So um, anytime you guys are okay. Sandra. All right. We've been. Oh, I thought the interview was over. We just did. <laughs> we just talked about everything we were really interested in talking about. Are you Are you ready? Oh, great! Fabulous. MTV's ready. It's incredible. We are ready for MTV. Hey, baby. <laughs> the concert rocked. Thank you, Sandra. I mean, this has been such an incredible year for me because I, I I'm pregnant and I've seen you with Fleetwood Mac and I've seen you solo and my baby has heard you. So it's like. I know it's just going to be something magical and fabulous that's going to happen when the baby's born. You know my voice. Yes. And crave mm -hmm. to hear me. Crave to hear and you. And buy my records. <laughs> and your box set. How's yes. What's fact, happening with your box set? Here. Why don't we have your box set for crying out loud? Because we don't have one. No, on Do tour we, with we you? Don't. All right. Well, everybody we knows that Stevie has her box set out and that it rocks. It has your whole compilation of all your solo albums. My work, my solo work, yeah. Your oeuvre complet. Yes. Which is so amazing. My coup de grace. No, honey, you haven't <laughs> reached that yet. You're on your way, but right. nowhere near. Right. We're just, we're a work in progress. She's a songwriter of the highest order and a solo artist with more gold records than wall space. And if you close your eyes, you will know the voice the minute she sings. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Nixology. On today's episode, we will be discussing Stevie's 1998 box set, The Enchanted Works of Stevie Nicks, which is more commonly known as Enchanted. The Enchanted box set was released on April 28th of 1998 and peaked at number 85 on the Billboard 200, which is actually a pretty great position for a box set, all things considered. The album did not receive any single releases, but it was promoted by the Enchanted Tour, which lasted from May to August of 1998. On the Enchanted Tour, Stevie is going to augment her usually pretty static set list and include several songs from the box set, including Garbo, Sleeping Angel, Golden Braid, all of which we will be discussing shortly. Sadly, these songs haven't been performed since then, but fingers crossed they do make a resurgence in the set list sometime soon. She's got some dates booked, Bottle Rock and Austin City Limits, so I know a lot of my wild hearts out there have gotten tickets. I'm hoping that Stevie will come to the East Coast at some time in 2021 so that I can go see her too. One of the difficult things about doing this episode and why this format is going to be slightly different than my past ones is I don't have a lot of audio of Stevie speaking about these tracks. I do have a couple clips, which I will include here and there at the appropriate moments, but I don't have a lot of her discussing them. So the format will be slightly different. And I said this on my Street Angel episode, and I've said it on Instagram, but to refresh you all so there are no surprises, I'm calling this my Enchanted Hot Takes episode. So I am going to set a timer, and you will hear that timer go off every three minutes. I'm devoting three minutes to each track, where I'll do my usual thing, give you Stevie's thoughts on these songs, if I have them, give you some background information, production notes, and, well, just my own personal feelings on each and every one of these songs, because, as usual, I love them. Not a bad one in the bunch. So, I don't want to waste too much time. 
I don't want to go overly in-depth in the intro because, well, there's not that much. But I will make a plea here and now to Reprise or Stevie's people or whoever out there is listening and say you should really put Enchanted on streaming services because currently it is unavailable. And it's become something almost of a rarity in the last 10 or 15 years. You can snag a copy of the Enchanted box set on eBay. I was just looking at the prices before I pressed record. They're going for somewhere around $50, and it's worth every penny. The booklet is an absolute treasure trove of Stevie photos, her remembrances. It is just a wonderful piece of memorabilia in ephemera to have in your Stevie collection. I'm still so sad that (laughs) I lost mine in a leak, but I was able to find the CDs themselves. And for me, those are the most cherished of memories. So if you don't know some of these tunes, check out eBay, purchase yourself a copy, or you can also find some of these songs on YouTube. But shh, I didn't say that because it's copyrighted material. So let's get right to it. And for my first track, I actually do have a little snippet from the Enchanted Tour of Stevie discussing the first non-album cut on the box set. This is Garbo. I've never really talked to the audience like this, and, and I get like, you know, am I saying too much? But at the same time, I really want to share this with you. So the second song is about the infamous photo session for the Buckingham Knicks cover. Every time I tell this story, I feel like I'm depressing the audience, but at the same time, I need to actually tell you what happened. So I went to do this. I was not happy about it. I got in a lot of trouble for not being happy about it. Don't be paranoid. Don't be a child. This is art. You know, and and so anyway, I thought about in my dramatic 27, 23, 25, 24 maybe. I was very young dramatic way, I thought maybe the movie stars that came here felt this way, you know? Maybe they felt like they had to do something they really didn't want to do that much, and, but they did it anyway for art, for music. So I went home and I wrote this song, and it's called Garbo. So first track on Enchanted that we are going to be discussing is Garbo. Garbo, in my opinion, is Stevie's best B-side. This was the B-side to Stand Back, and a lot of people are familiar with this song. And as she said in that little clip, it is a contemplative song. Stevie is clearly influenced by what occurred during the Buckingham Knicks album photo shoot session, where, spoiler if you don't know, she posed topless on the album cover, although Lindsay was sort of in front of her covering anything that would have been exposed. And... She was unhappy about it and wondered if some of the stars of the, you know, golden age of Hollywood had experienced that. I mentioned on the last episode about Street Angel, we talked about the song Greta. It is interesting that Stevie does have two songs from two different perspectives referring to Greta Garbo, you know, one of the most famous stars of that early Hollywood era. And they do come from two different perspectives. The song Greta is more about wondering, you know, can I give it all up? Can I just sort of let it all go and recede from public view? That's sort of the end of Greta Garbo's life. I feel like Stevie is reflecting on the beginning of Greta Garbo's actual career in the song Garbo, wondering if she can play 
that part as all of them do. She could have been Garbo. She could have been Marlena if she had gone along with what the industry wanted her to do circa the time of the release of Buckingham Knicks. But, you know, and they said, oh, don't be a child. Be mature about this. But if you don't want to do something, you shouldn't do something. And I applaud Stevie for really never caving to what a record label or what a, you know, production company, whatever the case may be, wanted her to be. She has always stayed very, very true to the poet that she is, the individual artist that she is. And I think that's why coming and going, Stevie continues to get new fans because of her authenticity. And Garbo is a statement of that authentic artistry that Stevie embodies. So absolutely love the song. Absolutely love the performance, and I'm going to give you a real hot take here, the hottest of hot takes, and say this song should have gone on the wild heart in place of Gate and Garden. You know Gate and Garden's one of my least favorites, and I think Garbo would have fit perfectly in that spot on the track list of the wild heart. So, boom, that's my timer. Moving on to the next track. We have one more big time rock and roll star. Good Lord, that title is a mouthful. So one more big time rock and roll star was the B-side to Talk To Me, one of Stevie's most successful singles. So again, I feel as though people may know this song more than some of the other ones. If you purchased, you know, that 45 of Talk To Me back in the day, maybe you know this one. Stevie said in an interview that the song was written about a rock star who sent flowers instead of showing up himself but she wouldn't name names. I'm going to lay money and say it was Joe Walsh because, I mean, this all the songs from this period tend to be about Joe Walsh. And Stevie said, it's such a rock star thing to send flowers. It's sick to send a $150 arrangement of flowers and think that's going to make it okay. Nobody needs one of those. They're a pain. <laughs> and I, I mean, imagine that. Stevie, so insulted by this rock and roll star. I've always called this one the Morton Salt song because she sings, when it rains, it pours. And I imagine Stevie in that yellow raincoat on the front of the container of Morton Salt. And I got to be totally honest with you guys. This is not a song that I have listened to a lot over the years. And yet when I do listen to it, I'm always struck by how much I like it. So this was a fun one to go back over the last week or so, re-listening to these tracks and rediscover. I know it's a favorite of one of my Instagram pals, Cody, so we got to spotlight the, spotlight the wild hearts out there. I don't really hear a lot of people discussing this song, though. So I'm curious, you guys give me feedback because you always do. What do you all think of one more big time rock and roll star? Are you sitting there with your candles and your crystals and all the quintessentially Stevie Nicks song things that she sings about in the bridge? I don't know. Speaking of the bridge, undercover music lover. If there were ever a, um, I guess, an argument that sometimes Stevie's lyrics during the like pre-rock a little era were a little bit scattered i would say you could probably bring up bring up one more big time rock and roll star as an example but like i said 
I enjoy this song a great deal. It's a good one to look back on. So we've got about 22 seconds left, and I figure we can just kind of roll on to the next one. So Twisted is the first song that appears on disc three of the Enchanted Box set. The two songs that I just discussed, Garbo and One More Big Time Rock and Roll Star, they were actually intermixed with the, you know, greatest hits and favorite cuts that Stevie included on disc one and disc two. They were actually both on disc one. So Twisted kicks us off and Twisted is actually noted on the box set as a demo. So the thing about Twisted is that the version I prefer and the version it seems as though, and let me just check my Instagram poll because I posted a poll about this yesterday, uh, that 48 of you listeners out there prefer as well is the one that appeared on the soundtrack to the film Twister, which Stevie recorded with her original duetting partner, the one and only Mr. Lindsay Buckingham. And this was a huge moment in the 90s for Stevie fandom and Fleetwood Mac fandom as well, because it was the first time in nine years that Stevie and Lindsay had recorded together since the uh, sessions for the Tango and the Night album. So it's a huge reunion, and, you know, they hadn't done anything, just the two of them, since Buckingham Nicks way back in the early 70s, 1971. So big, big deal. Twisted is an awesome song. I love the live performances that Stevie gives of this, particularly in 1996. I posted a clip from my dear pal, Mike Bice. Check it out on Instagram. It's awesome. She gives this awesome, you like to be twisted intro. Oh, love it. And it's a song inspired by the film. Stevie said herself in the Enchanted Liner Notes that when she was asked to do a song for the movie, she had her friend Rebecca read the script. She gave her a like Reader's Digest version, and she realized that this song was really her story. It was about people who had extreme jobs, like chasing tornadoes or being in a rock band. She handcrafted the song for the movie, and she said, unfortunately, if you saw the movie Twister, which I have seen a couple of times, and it's true, you kind of miss the song in there. What is intriguing about the version that appears on Enchanted, as I said at the very beginning, it's a demo. We had a big culture, and there's been a big movement in the Stevie fandom that, you know, her demos have sort of escaped from the vault over the years. and. It was interesting on Enchanted that she chose to release several of these demos herself, Enchanted, or uh, rather Twisted, being one of them. The song Twisted appears again on the 24 Karat Gold album. I'm not a huge fan of that version, I will be completely honest with you, but we'll definitely get there when we get to that episode. And I think the one on Enchanted is good. It's definitely more stripped down. But if we're going for Steven's definitive version of Twisted, you have to, have to, have to listen to the one from the Twister soundtrack with Lindsay. Wow. Okay. Perfect timing. So here we are. Track number two on disc three of Enchanted is Long Distance Winner. Long Distance Winner has a really storied history in Stevie's career because it is 
a song from the Buckingham Knicks album. And obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you all know the Buckingham Knicks was, as I said a few moments ago, the original incarnation of Stevie and Lindsay. And the album has been out of print since the two of them were dropped from Polydor Records in 1973, right before they joined Fleetwood Mac. So this was a huge deal that finally a song from Buckingham Mix was mastered and was put out on CD. And Long Distance Winner is a hell of a song. It is probably my favorite song from the Buckingham Knicks album. I do own it on record as any good Stevie or Fleetwood Mac fan does. I don't listen to it that often because it's not super accessible. I just tend to pull it up on YouTube or I, I do have a rip of it on my phone. But Long Distance Winter is such a great song. I want to read uh, something that Stevie said about the song. This is from an interview she gave in 1982 right after Belladonna. And she said, I liked Long Distance Winter because it was real kind of Greek, European, you know, that sort of sound that was wonderful on stage. And it was about Lindsay and it was a heavy sort of song in their relationship. Fast forward to 1998 and she really kind of goes there and says, back then, Long Distance Winter was very much about dealing with Lindsay. How else can I say it? I bring the water down to you, but you're too hot to touch. What the song is really all about is a difficult artist saying, I adore you, but you're difficult. And I'll stay here with you, but you're still difficult. And the line, sunflowers in your face fascinate me, means that your beauty fascinates me, but I still have trouble dealing with you. But I will still stay. And it's the age-old story of Lindsay and I. I mean, how could you even encapsulate it any further? This song is so indicative of her relationship with Lindsay, not only during the period that Buckingham Knicks was recorded, but also during the period uh, when she had just recently reunited with Fleetwood Mac, done the dance tour, and not casting aspersions here, but there were definitely some sparks that were flying between the two of them. All you have to do is look at the Silver Springs performance from the dance and you will see what I mean. So I think relevance of including this particular song from Buckingham Knicks was a very pointed, very personal reference to Lindsay in 1998. I wish, wish, wish that she had performed Long Distance Winter live on stage. But at least four years ago, almost five, we got Crying in the Night from Buckingham Knicks on the 24 Karat Gold Tour. Let's hope one day we get it released. Oh, that's my timer. So next up is Thousand Days, which was the B-side to Blue Denim in some regions. And you know we love a street angel moment on this podcast. And again, thank you so much for all the positive feedback about my street angel episode. I, I honestly, you guys keep getting sweeter and sweeter every episode, but that was pretty... I'm just glad I really helped you guys reevaluate Street Angel. But anyway, I said on that episode, I thought Thousand Days 100% should have been on there, and I do stand by that statement. However, Thousand Days, written about, according to Stevie, her non-relationship with Prince, which is a funny thing to say since since Prince has passed. Uh, she's definitely revisited their relationship in a much more positive light. 1998, it was not so positive. And Thousand Days 
inspired by a moment where Stevie fell asleep on Prince's kitchen floor and he literally had to drag her up the stairs. She'd been asleep. Well, how long, she said. Why do you question me? Prince never cared about time before, my friend. The lyric to Thousand Days. I know people give her shit for this one. The time life edition competition tradition being the only thing we care to remember about the singers and the great players. I'm just going to riff on it right here. I love it. When I perform my own little mini Stevie Nicks shows around my house when I'm home alone, Thousand Days is always in the set list. It is a great song to sing. The production by Chris Lord Algae is top-notch, stunning as usual. My hope is that someday, cough, cough, someday soon, Rhino Records know you're listening, that we will get the Rock-A-Little version of Thousand Days on the expanded Rock-A-Little set, which I fingers crossed hope is coming. But this one is a banger. I love the saxophone. I love the horns. And at the very end, when she goes the, well, it seems like a thousand days. Oh my God. Why hasn't this song been performed live? Was anybody out there during the Enchanted Tour? Because I, clearly I was alive during the tour, but did not get to see it. Was anybody else out there clamoring for this one? Because I would have been in the audience every night with a sign saying, please, Stevie, sing Thousand Days. And maybe she would have granted my request if, if I could turn back time, in the words of Cher. But Thousand Days is a banger of a song. I absolutely, absolutely, absolutely love it. And we kind of will always wonder what it would have been like if Stevie had continued her collaboration with Prince because they were pretty prolific and pretty in, you know, intertwined there for a little while. Missed opportunity, but we're glad to have it available here. Moving on to the next one, my hands down favorite song from the Enchanted Box set, Battle of the Dragon. I even used Battle of the Dragon in my trailer for this show. So it has always been a favorite. Now, this song was originally recorded and demoed with Tom Petty. You can go to YouTube and check out that version. I think I'm in the minority, but not sure. I know you guys will tell me that I do prefer the solo Stevie version. And this is a slightly remixed one that appeared on the American Anthem soundtrack. This was remixed again by Chris Lord Algae as almost a I don't want to say demo, but like a tryout maybe for Time Space. It was not slated to appear on there as far as I know, but it does come out on the uh, Japanese single for Love's a Hard Game to Play, that EP that I spoke about on that episode. Although on there they call it Battle of the Dragons with an S at the end, but I digress. I don't have anything from Stevie on this one, but I will share a personal story with you, and that is that when I became a Stevie fan, which was like circa 2005-2006, I was talking to someone back in the day, and my LGBTQ listeners on the podcast will remember this website, XY. I was talking to someone on XY, his name was Bobby, and he was stationed in South Korea. And the song Battle of the Dragon encapsulated 
all of my feelings during that early 2005 into 2006 time period. This was not pre-planned, but after some calls, I decided to go to the other side of the world. Like you imagine 18-year-old me totally relating to the content of this song. And he did eventually come back to the U.S. and we did like hang out a couple of times and meet, but he totally was in love with his ex-boyfriend. And basically, as Stevie predicted in the song, someone was looking for him. Nothing was wrong, but I could and I will go on. And that was sort of my inspirational connection to the song Battle of the Dragon. I wore this one out. Interestingly enough, when I looked back at my iTunes track listing or my iTunes playlist, I've played this song over 600 times. So you know I love Battle of the Dragon. I would make this my probably number two or number three request of a song that I would kill for Stevie to perform one time only live. She's never said much about it. It's kind of forgotten. I don't really hear people discussing it, but make it available on streaming at the very least. Put it as a part even of the American Anthem soundtrack and let's get more people exposed to this song because it is phenomenal. One of her greatest lyrics, so mysterious, the instrumentation, just everything about it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Next up, we are going to have our first, not duet, but almost first feature appearance on Disc 3 of Enchanted. And this is a song from Jon Stewart, who Lindsay and Stevie worked with pretty extensively throughout the 70s. Jon Stewart had opened up for Fleetwood Mac. And it's called Gold. It is mostly a Jon Stewart song, but Stevie's harmony and backing vocals when she comes through just with such power, I love them. I always have found it sort of different or unexpected, I guess, that they included this song as opposed to the song that Stevie was really more dedicated to on that album, and it was called Midnight Wind. So says on there, Stevie said herself, working on gold was an accident. I went in to sing on the wind song, which was Midnight Wind. And I was just there, ran out very quickly and put that part right on. It was not even planned. It was done in about 20 minutes. And that was about as off the wall as anything else. And her vocal is just that peak, almost like rumors tour, strong, cutting powerful voice that we don't get for very long in the 1970s, but certainly grateful to have it included on Enchanted. I don't necessarily have that much more to say about it. And I think in the spirit of this episode literally being hot takes, I'm doing this, in case you haven't noticed, completely off the cuff, no notes, literally nothing in front of me, just shooting off at the mouth here. I say let's just move on to Free Fallen, and if you're upset that I didn't devote the full three minutes to gold, DM me and we can talk. But let's let's keep it moving to Stevie's cover of Free Fallen, which obviously is a Tom Petty song. This is going to get a whole ton of performances 
on the most recent Fleetwood Mac tour after the very sad, very unfortunate passing of Tom Petty. And it just has an interesting afterlife that I don't think most of us ever would have expected. That on a Fleetwood Mac tour, Stevie would be performing a cover of Tom Petty's Free Fallen, which she originally did on the Party of Five soundtrack of all places, you know, almost 15, 16, 17 years prior. So story behind Stevie recording this, I do have a quote from her. She said, somebody at Warner Reprise asked me if I wanted to do a song for the Party of Five soundtrack. I love Free Fallen and I've always wanted to sing it and they gave me a reason. It fits right in, and that's why Tom is my favorite writer. I kind of feel I, if I had come into this world as a boy, I would have been Tom Petty. I feel like there's a part of his songwriting that I can relate so easily to. He's doing another record now, and I honestly say one of the things I'm looking most forward to is to hear all these new songs of his. So not only is Stevie one of Tom's premier collaborators, and as she likes to tell everyone, the only lady heartbreaker, the only female heartbreaker, She also was a fan, and I think her love for Tom was genuine. I think when Mike Campbell joined Fleetwood Mac after, you know, Lindsay got the boot and Tom had unfortunately passed, it was a logical expression of that. So Free Fallen has this extended life that I don't think any of us, when we first got the Enchanted box set, were like, okay, cool, nice to have Stevie's cover of Tom Petty's Free Fallen. Didn't think that it would be performed every night for a hundred and some odd shows in, you know, 2018 into 2019, but here we are. The world is a strange little place. Next up, we have It's Late, which here is an interesting Fleetwood Mac crossover. So this is an old song. Stevie said in the liner notes to Enchanted, she's been singing since she was about four years old. And it was originally written and performed by Dorsey Burnett. Dorsey Burnett was the, I believe, father, yes, father of Billy Burnett, who was clearly in Fleetwood Mac after Lindsay left in 1987. And was, you know, had a pretty long relationship with Stevie even after that. So just a cool crossover here. It's Late is a demo, another demo appearance on the Enchanted box set. And this is what Stevie has to say about it. It was recorded at Vintage Studios in Phoenix, Arizona, April 20th, 1995, with the Gin Blossoms guitarist, Jesse Valenzuela said this song and five other songs were recorded on this night. It was the first time I had ever met Jesse, and it was the beginning of a friendship I've come to treasure. I was feeling very uninspired about music, but he re-inspired me. And as I said a few moments ago, It's Late was a song I'd been singing since the fourth grade, one of her grandfather's favorites. So definitely a full circle kind of performance on Enchanted. Stevie does a great version of this song and the song Red River Valley on Chris Isaac's show. I think it was recorded in 2008, gets released in 2009. I posted a clip of it on the Instagram page, so definitely go to at Nixology Podcast and check that out. But I love Stevie's collaborations with Chris Isaac. This is a very Chris Isaac-y moment, even though she... Thanks the guy from the Gin Blossoms, and it's weird. I've seen the Gin Blossoms in concert at my local county fair, if you can believe that, here in way down south New Jersey. They were great. It was a fun time. 
another Stevie uh, crossover. But I love her version of It's Late with Chris Isaac. I feel like people always think when she goes on tour that this song is going to make it into the set because it's an easy one to sing. Genuinely shocked that this never became a set list regular. But it's a cute little ditty, a good little number. Again, should be on streaming for everybody to enjoy. All right, next up is Violet and Blue. And I did mention this song on my Live at Red Rocks episode, so kind of half covered it there. What a great song. One of my absolute favorite, not just songs on Enchanted, but favorite Stevie songs of all time. We've never gotten a live performance of this one, but she has, for a long time, tacked on the Take Your Violet and Blue Mornings With You part on to the end of I Need to Know when she did it in concert, which has led a lot of people to speculate that this song was written about Tom Petty. I almost feel like at some point I read that this song was inspired by Tom Petty, but it is awesome. Should have definitely been on the Wild Heart. It is on my version of the Wild Heart. I think it could have probably fit on there if the CD had been available widely at that point in time. Because, you know, some of the earlier albums, the Belladonnas and Wild Hearts and Rock a Littles of the World, CDs weren't a thing. So they were, you know, sort of constricted to the limitations of an LP or a tape or in the early days, an eight track. And you just couldn't fit that many songs on there. So Violet and Blue is a really strong contender. I love that classic organ sound. I believe it's Bam on Tench. I actually didn't look it up before the show. Again, hot take, so we're just shooting off at the mouth. Somebody will tell me. But it sounds like him, and I love that organ sound. Does remind me, and I know I said this about uh, Imperial Hotel on the Rock a Little episode, reminds me a little bit of Don't Do Me Like That, or just like that Tom Petty sound that I love. I've played this song an innumerable amount of times. Well, actually, like 312 times if iTunes is accurate. And somebody said I still call it iTunes. I guess it is Apple Music now, but I still call it iTunes. That's what it's going to be for me forever. And it is a banger. It's a standout. Everybody loves this song. And I think we should maybe campaign to get this one performed in the 2021 set list. It was from the Against All Odds soundtrack, sort of a more obscure pick. A lot of these songs on Enchanted were soundtrack songs, and I feel like for a little while in the 80s and into early 90s, Stevie was a soundtrack queen. She appeared on quite a few soundtracks, and successfully so. I miss the days when they would release a really good soundtrack compilation album. And Violet and Blue, if I'm looking at the track list of the Against All Odds soundtrack here, which I am right now, 100% the strongest song on there. Everybody else just kind of stunk. And in case you haven't gotten the vibe, like not a Phil Collins fan on here. So anytime I hear him going, take a look at me now, I just switch the station. I trip the station, change the channel. In the words of another pop icon, whose name I won't mention on this podcast, we love Violet and Blue. Take your Violet and Blue mornings with you, like Elizabeth Taylor's Violet Eyes. I'm looking at her right now. 
Whenever I call you friend. That's the next song we've got here, and I can't help but sing it. I said on Instagram that this is the song that comes on in CVS or ShopRite. You are 100% either like picking up a prescription or getting your COVID vaccine, which I highly recommend everybody get because it's great. And you hear this and you're like, wow, it's familiar. And then all of a sudden you start singing along with Stevie's harmony The I see myself within your eyes. I've sung a lot on this podcast. I hope I don't get one star reviews, but I love this song. Everybody forgets that it exists, or at least I forget it exists until I hear it in the grocery store. It is a duet with Kenny Loggins that absolutely should have been Melissa Manchester. Melissa Manchester was quite pissed that she was not on this, winds up recording her own version, has a few snarky things to say about Stevie as a result of it. And... Stevie doesn't sound like she enjoyed recording with Kenny Loggins a lot. She actually described him as an quote-unquote incredibly difficult producer. But boy, he's excellent. He's a real crack-the-whip person, and it was hard recording that song. And even though I was angry with him on and off, I think it came out great. And it did. It was a big hit. And Stevie's first, I would say first, feature outside of Fleetwood Mac that was a big single. This comes out in 1978 and right on the heels of rumors, everybody sort of had the Stevie Nicks fever at this point. And she's a great addition to the song. It sucks that we've never gotten a full live performance, at least to my knowledge. Maybe there's one out there that somebody can send me, but I've never heard one and I've never seen one. But One of my pals on Instagram, Stevie Nicks Nation, did remind me of this great clip that I think I'll actually use to uh, play us out. And Stevie was on the NBC show Up All Night back in 2011 and actually does a snippet of it with Maya Rudolph. And it sounds great. So let's play us out with that. Sweet love showing us a heavenly light. I never seen such a beautiful star. Next track is Sweet Girl, and it is another demo. Sweet Girl was made famous on the dance album, which Stevie had performed the year previous, her big reunion with Fleetwood Mac. And this is another song, kind of like one more big time rock and roll star that I literally never think of. I only ever listened to Sweet Girl within the context of the dance. So I had only ever played this according to iTunes or Apple Music one time prior to re-listening to it this week. And it is a perfectly good demo, a perfectly nice song. I just prefer the version that's on the dance. And Stevie doesn't really have too, too much to say about it. I love the lyric that she chose to dance across the stages of the world and everyone said she'd never learn. What do you like to do? I'm always curious, what does Stevie like to do outside of her world and who spends time with her? I almost feel, and making an assumption here, making a um, a, a supposition, let's say, Stevie had said that prior to the dance, she was dating somebody and, you know, she packed up her stuff and went back on the road again with her ribbons and her bows, as Juliet once said. And 
got out there on the road, I think it's incredibly difficult. And she said numerous times to maintain a relationship with someone, especially somebody that's not famous. And Sweet Girl's almost a reflection on that. She doesn't have a partner. She doesn't have a husband or a boyfriend. In many ways, music and her lyrics and her performances on stage fulfill that within her. And she's got many great friends and all sorts of, you know, nieces and nephews and goddaughters and godsons out there. But Stevie is still that sweet girl. She's still out there on the road doing her thing up until this day. And you got to admire her for that. I think Sweet Girl probably, in addition to Twisted, is the most like, hey, the label thinks I should include this, so I'm going to include this song that appears on Enchanted. Because the dance was such a big runaway hit that I think it would have been foolish of her not to include it. And it's a new song, technically. I mean, it's the newest of the new material that appears on this album. And it's a great addition. Not one I listen to often, but certainly something I'm grateful that we have. And if you want to hear it in its prime form, I say go listen to it on the dance. Hi, in a couple of your songs, you refer to the blue lamp. And on the box set, there's a great song called The Blue Lamp and a photo of you with the blue lamp. What's the deal with the blue lamp? (laughs) The blue lamp is a real Tiffany lamp that, uh, it was the first, right after I joined Fleetwood Mac, my mom bought that lamp for me. So it was the first really beautiful thing that I got. And it was from her. And I ended up carrying it back from, from Phoenix to Los Angeles on the, on the plane. And they didn't want to let me on with this blue lamp. And I said, well, then you're going to have to run over me because we're not going without the lamp. <laughs> so the blue lamp became like this, you know, it, it uh, it still sits right in my living room in Phoenix. It's like, it's a beautiful lamp and people write songs about it and people walk in the house and say, oh, that's the blue lamp, like you just said, you know? So yeah, it really exists. It's really a lamp. It really exists. It's really a lamp. Next song is Blue Lamp and one of the best, the best of the best of the best. Appeared on the heavy metal soundtrack in 1981. This was very recently left off of Belladonna. It could have appeared on the album. I don't know what it would have replaced, but I think it's another situation like Violet and Blue, where if the album format had been longer, definitely would have made the cut. I love the stars still laugh and they shine. The downstairs where the big old house is mine, that lyric does get reused in Welcome to the Room, Sarah, which is an interesting Fleetwood Mac crossover from the Tango in the Night album. And I think every Stevie fan at some point in time in their lives has gone on to eBay or gone to their local antique shop and looked at the lamps and thought, where can I find this blue Tiffany lamp that Stevie said, well, you're going to have to run me over if you don't let me on the plane with it. I would love one. And I will remind you all that my birthday is next week. So if somebody wants to send a blue Tiffany lamp to my house, DM me, I'll give you my address, and I will be a glad recipient of my own personal blue lamp. So just an editorial note here, and don't be mad, but I am going to kind of skip over the next song. 
and encourage you guys to take a look back at my Stevie Nicks Live in Concert episode. I talk a lot about Golden Braid on there and how I think it's one of Stevie's strongest songs. And I love, love, love the performance from the Stevie Nicks Live in Concert on the White Wing Dove Tour episode. So Golden Braid is a great old song to quote. Silver Springs is a great old song. I love it. It is fantastic. I'm really glad she brought it back on the 24 Karat Gold Tour. And this is literally the same live recording that is available on that live in concert VHS and a little spruced up in the studio. But Golden Braid is about Lindsay. Here, I'll even, you know what, just because I love you guys, I will read what Stevie had to say about it to kind of move us on to the next one. It's an unreleased track from Belladonna, and it's about Lindsay wanting more from me in our relationship, but wanting to know everything about someone, which goes in hand in hand with being in love, was never something I wanted to share with anybody. Professionally, everybody always wanted me to be their idea of what I should be. I'd flat out look at people and say, you know I'm not going to do what you want, so why do you bother? And when you read that in context, Golden Braid becomes even clearer than before. So moving right along from Golden Braid, we are now going to Reconsider Me. And Reconsider Me has a really interesting story. So let me read what Stevie said about it. When Jimmy Iovine brought me this song, he thought it was going to be a key song in my career, like a second stop dragging my heart around. But we got in a big fight because I don't really like to do other people's songs that often. That's why I write my own songs. I was pretty crazy at that point in my life, and you couldn't tell me anything. So I said to him, I would never say the words reconsider me to somebody. I would never ask somebody to reconsider loving me. Well, he thought that was the biggest bunch of crap he'd ever heard. So we had a big fight about it, and that's just about the last time Jimmy and I ever worked together. But all these years later, I'm not uptight about it anymore. I'm delighted to be doing Warren's song now. And the Warren in question, not Warren Beatty, but Warren Zevon, Werewolves of London, which, by the way, pretty much a Fleetwood Mac song. Look at the look at the credits on who played on Werewolves of London. It's literally Fleetwood Mac. But I digress. Reconsider Me is beautiful. I love that Don Henley came back and sang some harmonies on there, very much a callback to Leather and Lace. Is it? Something Stevie would say to reconsider her? Clearly not, but that doesn't make it any less of a great song. I was sort of shocked that the label didn't put this one out as a single. I do know that there were some promos, sort of like a um, one-disc version of Enchanted that was released to radio stations and promotional purposes that highlighted Reconsider Me. This is the sort of song you would hear playing in Barnes and Noble in 1998. As a matter of fact, I'm like 99.9% sure I heard this song playing in Barnes and Noble in 1998. It's gorgeous. It's pretty. It's sweet. It's not necessarily a Stevie-esque Stevie song, but I think if it were released to radio, promoted as a single, maybe even had a video with her and Don Henley sort of snuggling up together and harmonizing. This is the sort of song that would have gotten a Grammy nod, Stevie Solo in 1999. It's the sort of thing that people who 
I guess it's the nominating committee of the Recording Academy, whatever they're called, I think this is the song that they would heat up. I'm also surprised it was never performed live. Stevie and Don had not reunited, but had performed it together a couple of times around 2000 at the um, Arizona Heart Institute, the American Heart Institute Benefit concert, where she famously does that awesome acoustic version of Gypsy. And feel like reconsider me would be a logical choice so again much like violet and blue and battle of the dragon and all these other songs put it in the set list people will go crazy and it'll get you some cred pull up don henley what's he doing with his time other than like you know feuding with the rest of the eagles get him out on tour stevie let's do it Next up is Somebody Stand By Me. Somebody Stand By Me is just a very bluesy number written by Sheryl Crow. I know Faith Hill has performed this song. Sheryl Crow has performed this song. It appeared on the soundtrack to the film Boys on the Side, which I've never seen, but I know my cousin Heather really loved that movie. I remember her going out on a date with a guy to see that movie, which is a weird remembrance for me to have, but I distinctly remember her going to see Boys on the Side and telling me about it. So lo and behold, years later when I become a Stevie fan, I'm like, oh, this song was from the Boys on the Side soundtrack. This definitely sounds to me like it was something that was recorded post Street Angel, post Street Angel tour. Her voice is really strong, really soulful. It is a stripped down, minimalist track. Remember on last episode when we discussed songs like Love is Like a River and Kick It, and I said that in Listen to the Rain too, that they could have been performed or written at a rehearsal. I definitely think Somebody Stand By Me could have been performed at the same like soundtrack or rehearsal. It has that feel to it. I could see Stevie almost in like a, I don't know, kind of a dive bar with like a, just a pickup band and she gets up, sings a song. She wants to do a Sheryl Crow tune. Somebody Stand By Me comes on. It's great. I've never, ever heard anyone really stevie fan wise discuss this song so i'm curious if you have thoughts and feelings on somebody stand by me give me a shout shoot me a dm i would love to hear some feedback on it because i've scoured the internet and nobody has anything to say about this one i also imagine that if you were a fan circa 1995 and, you know, Street Angel was not the critical success that a lot of people hoped, and we discussed that last time. Maybe this was a calling card or a sign that Stevie was going to continue pursuing being a recording artist and put out new material, because you get this, then you get Twisted, then you get the songs from the Practical Magic soundtrack that I hope and definitely will discuss sometime if you ever did believe in Crystal. And I think this is another just kind of curiosity of the soundtrack 90s era that I love and I know a lot of you guys love too. So we're in the home stretch now. Second to the last song on Enchanted Disc 3 is Sleeping Angel. And I know that this is a beloved song among the fans. People went wild in the audience when she performed this on the Enchanted Tour. It is a very 
special song. And another that I think should have been on Belladonna. This song got a lot of acclaim because it was featured in the movie Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which is, you know, an 80s Sean Penn classic. Everybody knows that movie. I haven't seen it in a really long time. I'm kind of curious if it holds up. Stevie wrote Sleeping Angel about her label executive, Paul Fishkin, which, I mean... I wouldn't write a song this beautiful about Paul Fishkin, no disrespect, but interesting that she wrote it about him. She actually gives a little discussion about this one on storytellers, but unfortunately it gets left off the actual broadcast. So I don't have the full quote, but much like the uh, clip that I played you of Blue Lamp, one of the audience members asks her about this tune, and she basically tells the story that this was about Paul Fishkin and about the time when they were launching modern records and sort of what was going on in their relationship during that period. So Sleeping Angel, beautiful song, another song that is in a long line of Stevie songs referencing angels. We discussed that on the last episode. And... I would love, love, love for this one to make its way back into the set. I feel like I say that about every song on here, but I really, these are just, Stevie says for 24 Karat Gold that these were the songs that were in her little golden jewel box, her 24 Karat Gold vault. This would be like the very first volume. These are in her platinum vault, let's say. These really are just some of the most introspective heartfelt songs of her career and i think it would definitely get a great response from the audience if she were to bring it back into the set now we're going to wrap up this episode with a song that is never ever 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 left the set and never ever 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 will that is rhiannon and this is the only fleetwood mac song to appear on Enchanted. So that is a notable mention in and of itself. This is very much in the vein of what Stevie would do by herself in her home, a solo piano version of Rhiannon. And it's great. Is it something that I come back to often? No, I kind of have to be in the right frame of mind for it. But I think about this as a what if, as a sort of you get a personal audience with Stevie. You go over to her house, you've had a glass of wine, she's told you a couple of really great stories about how Lindsay pissed her off during the making of Rumors, and you ask her, will you play me something at the piano? And she sits herself down and just comes in with those iconic And I know that word gets overused, but really those iconic opening chords and you're just like, holy crap, Stevie Nicks is sitting right before me playing Rhiannon on the piano. And when I re-listened to this for the podcast, because like I said, not one I listen to every day, that was the image that I had in my mind. That was the web that I had weaved for myself about this performance. I love that Stevie took the time out of her schedule and out of her just own life to do this and include something 
so special for the fans on Enchanted because the demos of songs like Rhiannon have been kicking around forever in varying shades of quality. So it's almost like she went in and gave you a bird's eye view of her process. And I've talked many times on this podcast too about the fact that I enjoy her songwriting process. I don't think anybody would say Stevie is a you know prolific pianist. She's not the greatest piano player. And that's what's cool about this particular version is that you see how she had this core nugget of an idea for the song Rhiannon. And then somebody like Lindsay comes in and sort of adds his bells and whistles But when you strip it all back, she is the architect of her sound and she is the, you know, poet in the room. And that is really the essence of Stevie. Without her pure, stripped down, creative vision, none of these songs would be the pieces of the musical tapestry in her legacy that they are. None of them would have reached those heights. She is not a product of the studio. She's not a creature of the recording studio. She doesn't like to spend the million years in there. But when you've got ideas like these, you don't necessarily need to. And I think that is such a great way to wrap up this box set. You sort of go big picture and then you zoom in and really see the genesis of the song that introduced everybody to Stevie. Majority of the world did, had no idea who this girl, Stephanie Lynn Nix, was until Rhiannon became a huge hit on the radio. So it is a fitting full circle moment on the Enchanted box set. And I love it. I think it's a great ending. Wow. And speaking of endings, that's my timer, which means we've gone through all of the non-album tracks and B-sides that are featured on Enchanted. So I would just like to say, as usual, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed these hot takes, and I hope you enjoyed the different format. I am not one to fly by the seat of my pants, and I really like to script things out. I wouldn't say I'm a perfectionist, but I come pretty close. So this is a very vulnerable thing for me to do, to just put myself out there have no script, have no notes in front of me, and just speak extemporaneously. So I hope you guys enjoy it. And I will be back before the end of the month. I can't commit to a firm date still because I'm trying to figure out everything with my job. But I will definitely be back before the end of the month to give you a traditional episode of Nixology, all about Stevie's solo LP, her next one coming up in the pipeline, 2001's Trouble in Shangri-La. I'm very, very excited about that one. In the meantime, follow the podcast on Instagram, at Nixology Podcast, on Twitter, at Nixology Pod, and I will see you all very, very soon. Your dreams unwind, love's a state of
Rihanna 